Welcome to The Draft Board, where hosts David Song and Tyson Workington tackle the topics that you want to hear. From the rink, to the turf, to the court, anything and everything, this is The Draft Board. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of The Draft Board. Obviously, you know us by now. I'm David. He's Tyson. We're not in the same room because we're in different countries, such is life. But uh, yeah, obviously, it's been a little while since you've heard from us. and. I apologize for that, but at the second time, but at the same time, I'm not sorry because I was binge watching the Olympics, and after that, I was covering college basketball. So, and uh, and Tyson here, you know, Tyson, you've been you've been busy being a youth pastor at a church, and uh, that's been a great thing for you too. Yeah, it's been really good. It's been uh, a great time. It's been a lot of fun, learning lots, and yeah. Hey, how have the sports been down south with the basketball and the Olympics? I. I only get the Canadian coverage, so I only get to hear the good commentators. What's it like watching on NBC and ABC? <laughs> well, you see, I didn't have to because, thank goodness, VPNs are available and legal. So uh, <laughs> I, I found myself a VPN and I watched. Uh, all right. So for those of you like non-sports fans, tune this out. Even dedicated sports fans look at me funny when I tell them how much I watch the Olympics. And I understand. Uh, I watch six to 10 hours of Olympics a day for the entire 16 days because that is how much I love the Olympics. I do not do anything else for fun. And I time manage as hard as I possibly can to keep my job and, you know, do things that are absolutely necessary. But uh, yeah, I was able to watch it all on CBC's coverage and, you know, with Scott Russell being the primetime host and all of our all of our commentators. I love it, man. I love it. That's super great. That's good to hear. Yeah, and actually speaking of Olympic commentators, uh, I want to give a shout out to a guy who uh, now this guy, you don't people don't know him the way they know like Jim Houston in the hockey world or or Gus Johnson in college football or or Mike Breen in, in basketball, but uh, CBC had a commentator named Steve Armitage who retired at the conclusion of this year's Olympic Games after calling 18 Olympic Games, summer wow. and winter. He's, you know, he, he, he's an older gentleman. He's one of those, like, I obviously, I can't pretend to be him, but he's got one of those voices. That's, you know, it's kind of like that deep, warm, like old school radio voice. And so, you know, in the, in the Summer Olympics, he called a lot of, uh, like kayaking, like paddling races and, and swimming. And in the Winter Olympics, one of his favorite sports call, which he did a lot, was uh, long track speed skating. And, you know, he was a guy that I have listened to for years and years since my, you know, Olympic. Uh, honestly, let's be real. The Olympics are my girlfriend for two weeks every two years. But um, <laughs> I, am, I am happily single. But when the Olympics are on, the Olympics are pretty much number one. <laughs> That's so amazing. <laughs> um, yeah, and you know, I've listened to Steve Armitage for for multiple Olympic games, summer and winter, and honestly, I got a little emotional seeing him go because it kind of reminded me, you know, of, of Jim Houston, the hockey night in Canada legend, retiring uh, last year. You know, it, it's bittersweet because you know it's another it's another sports icon from you know my childhood and my teen years that I'm not going to get to hear anymore. Yeah, well, that's too bad. Um, you know, best wishes to him and, and the endeavors of, of the rest of his life. He had a great career, 18 Olympics. That is a long, long time to be covering the Olympics. 
yeah, congratulations to him on a great career and I wish him the best in the future. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, just a little bit more about him. He's actually British born, uh, oh. British born, raised in, raised in Canada. He, he also, you know, speaking of Jim Houston, he used to, he used to host hockey night in Canada for the Vancouver Canucks. He's done the CFL. He's done the Grey Cup. Of course, he's done the Olympics. And uh, yeah, Steve's had a great career. That's good. Congratulations to Steve. And yeah, wish him the best. And you know what? This is a great segue into obviously our, our Olympics talk. Cause you know, after, you know, a few weeks, I, I don't know. I felt like I really needed to digest the Olympics, both the good and the bad uh, mm. before talking about it on a podcast. But this actually leads me into one of the good things because uh, one of the final races that Mr. Armitage got to call alongside uh, Canadian Olympic speed skating champion Christina Groves was one of Canada's four gold medals in, in Beijing. Uh, and that, of course, is the uh, the women's team pursuit. Uh, Valerie Malte, Ivany Blondin, and Isabel Weideman, who moved from Ottawa, Ontario to Calgary, Alberta a few years ago to train at the Olympic Oval they took on in the final of the women's team pursuit, which is 3,000 meters, and all three skaters must skate together and cross the finish line together in order uh, to complete the race. They took on the defending world champion Japanese skaters and were, were behind early. You know, man, Tyson, this was such an exciting race. They, they were making up time, and their deficit behind the Japanese went from, like, you know, things like six-tenths of the second to, like, oh, now it's only four-tenths. Now it's only three-tenths. And it was something like two-tenths, three-tenths going to the final lap. And Steve Armitage and Christina Grove were like, oh, can they do it? Like, can they make this up on the final lap? I don't know if you heard this. But on the last turn, one of the Japanese skaters stumbled and fell, and Canada won a gold medal in this event after what I believe fourth to USA in Pyeongchang. And uh, that was one of the final races of Steve Armitage's career. And man, anytime Canada wins gold, oh. it's a great thing. I'm I'm getting goosebumps just like thinking about it and remembering it. Cause like I I remember I was like going to the one of my apps about sports and the Olympics was going. And it showed like this highlight of the Japanese uh, speed skater falling over and sliding into the, into the boards. And I was like, Oh my goodness, no. But then I realized that Canada was coming around and they were going to win gold. And I was like, wow, like what an exciting finish. Like that's such a great story. And Oh man, I can't believe that that was like one of, or was the last of Steve Armitage's calls. Like so incredible can't believe that it was like such a close race and then at the very last lap that one Japanese uh, figure or speed skater just fell over just couldn't keep it going wow. and then and also one of my other favorite parts about that race was that when the Canadians won the gold they did so in a new Olympic record so you can't say they didn't deserve it yeah no that's so good and it's such a great point I couldn't believe that it was actually an Olympic record that's so great. And, you know, well done to the Canadian ladies. Super great to see them win gold. It was an exciting race right to the finish. And yeah, congratulations. Yeah, no, it was, it was super well-deserved Tyson. Well said. And honestly, the fact that Isabel Weideman is a student at the university of Calgary makes me wish I was also still a student at the university of Calgary is, you know, Could get an interview. Oh man, just presence of greatness, man. Like it's, it's, it's it's amazing. I mean, yeah, that was definitely you know one of the the great moments for for Canada. Now, obviously, uh, you know, 
this before we, I, we talk about any of the other specific uh, uh, moments of Canada at the Olympics, you know, as Beijing 22, uh, 2022 was coming to an end, we I, I just brought back so many memories of Vancouver 2010 and how incredible those games were, not just in general for Canada, but, you know, we we set at the time a new medal record in the in the in the Olympics uh, for the and it was just it was just phenomenal like Vancouver man like that's lightning in a bottle that's just really really hard to recapture yeah no the Olympics are always like super special I remember that Vancouver Olympics it was super um, memorable for a lot of reasons one of the reasons was uh, the golden gold by Sidney Crosby in overtime versus Team USA for hockey but also the incredible finish for the women's hockey and and you know, here in Canada, we love our hockey, right? That's one of our big sports. So, um, yeah, no, just super memorable. The Olympics are always a great opportunity to see different athlete stories, to hear different um, things happen, and, and to watch athletes have that pinnacle of success, winning the medals, um, finishing on the podium, winning gold, and having, you know, their life's work finally come to the Mount Everest and, you know, reaching that, I finally did it kind of moment. It's always something special. I always love seeing it. And you know what? Uh, all, all respect, though, to Norway, because uh, so Norway, if you don't know, is a country of about six million people. And for the last two Olympic Games, they have led in total medal count. They won 37 medals at Beijing 2022. It's the per capita production is absolutely insane coming out of this little country. And uh, also the reason why I shout them out now is because Norway won 16 gold medals at in Beijing that breaks the previous all-time record for a winter olympic you know who used to hold it canada in vancouver with 14 so respect to the norwegians they are phenomenal winter athletes i i will say this though um i think ours is a little bit more impressive just because they've added so many more events over the few years so i, I don't know my opinion is is that ours is more impressive because we won 14 gold medals in a significantly less uh, opportunities with the uh, athlete with less uh, sports there. Um, so for Norway, you know, congratulations on your record, but in my opinion, it's not quite the same. Ah, yes. Good old fashioned, polite Canadian salt. I, I love it, Tyson. <laughs> no, uh, either way, you know, uh, they're both great Olympic years for the for the respective countries at the at the respective Olympics. I mean, I will say, you know, Canada only won four gold medals, but we did win a whopping 14 bronze for a total of 26. So overall, not too shabby. And uh, and of course, one of those gold medals was the one that most Canadians cared about a great deal, the women's hockey. And uh, I'm going to tell you what, Tyson, I think we were both nervous wrecks that night. Oh, couldn't believe it. Oh, man. The games between, like, Canada and U.S. were always crazy. And if you remember, like, earlier on in the round-robin stage, Canada played the U.S., and um, it was a close game. It was really good. Canada won that game, but, like, it kind of came at a little bit backhandedly. Like, uh, the goalie, oh, man, uh, Rene Debien had to make over 50 saves. Yeah, and Rene Debien was prime carry price that game right, and like just, the americans just, i think had a 
had 20 more shots than us, which was, that was unacceptable, but. Just absolutely like incredible for her performance by, by Anne Renee Debian. And like all of us were going in was like, is this going to be a repeat performance? Are the U.S. going to dominate and be like completely great? We're going to have to rely on our goalie again, but it, it wasn't to be. And it was a great uh, performance by Canada, um, you know, getting out to that lead with a couple of goals by Marie-Philippe Poulin and, you know, Captain Clutch comes in it uh, with multiple goals in the gold medal game. And, you know, she scored. And I think every gold medal game Canada has played at the Olympics that she's been to. Yeah, correct. So. She has four. That's insane. Four. <laughs> like, remember, this isn't, you know, four consecutive seasons in like the NHL or the NWHL, whatever. This is four straight Olympic games. That's Oh my goodness! Gold That's medal Olympic games. Gold, gold medal, yeah, yeah. No, and Marie Philippe Poulin is, you know, in 2010, I remember, you know, Calgary, the Calgary Dino Zone, Haley Wickenheiser being the captain of that team. Obviously, she was just a pillar of strength uh, in 02 as well in 06, and and at the time, as a younger man, I thought like, man, like, will there ever be a player as special as a uh, as Haley Wickenheiser and Marie Philippe Poulin? answer that question like marie philippe Poulin is one of the greatest of all time she has not just four uh she's not just scored in four separate gold medal games three gold medal winning games like they're like i don't know if god made a clutch gene tyson but if he did she has it yeah no kidding and um i think if i'm not mistaken yes i, I was just looking this up 2010 was the year that Marie-Philippe Poulin and Haley Wittenheiser were both on uh, Team Canada for the Olympics, winning that gold medal. And I believe it was Marie-Philippe Poulin who actually scored the game winner in overtime in, in, or game winner against the Americans, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. No, no they, uh, in 2010, we beat the U.S. 2-0 in regulation, okay. but I do believe she scored. Uh, she definitely scored, and I think it was was the game winner, but but nonetheless, like, and I think she was also, if you'll just like 70% on face-offs against the States oh. in the gold medal game or something. Like, like yeah. if you take Patrice Bergeron and Justin Williams and put them into a single player, that's Marie-Philippe Poulin right there. She's amazing. Yeah, she's just an incredible hockey player. Uh, I know she's only 30 and she's like still playing and everything, but just like fast track her, put her into the hall already. Like, <laughs> She needs to get there. Like, just bypass the rules, put her in the Hall of Fame, and 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 let's be done with it. She's had an incredible career already, and I'm looking forward to the next Olympics where we can hopefully see her dominate again. Well, I mean, and honestly, she could have retired after 2018 and had a Hall of Fame career already. Like, she... Yes. And now to just to come back and do it again in Beijing was, was amazing. But you know what I think is even better about her is just... And I didn't know very much about Poulin's personality before this Olympic cycle, but she is so incredibly humble in a way that is rare to see among high-level sports. Like, you know, all of the commentators, like Scott Russell, her former teammates, Shannon Sabadaw, uh, Megan Mickelson. Also, it makes me feel old that Shannon Sabadaw is 35 and didn't make the Olympic team this year. That makes me a bit sad. You know, Edmonton, Alberta zone, but... Uh, you know, Shannon had a great career for Canada with I think, at least two gold medals and a and a silver. And she was a I like I liked her as an analyst, but but man, like, they keep talking about her, and every single time 
like Marie-Philippe Poulain refuses to take credit and always says, no, it's these girls. They make me look good. They help put me in positions where, where I can score and it's all about the team. And this is just, this is just who she is. And, and man, I don't know, like in a world with a bunch of Ben Simmonses and James Hardens and Evander Canes, I love that Marie-Philippe Poulain exists. Yeah, I totally agree. It's so great to have um, a Canadian icon be so humble, so willing to put others first. It's so, so rare. And yeah, Marie Flipland, great player, but even better person. Can't believe that we are so lucky and so blessed to go from Haley Wickenheiser now to MPP. And I'm so excited to see what happens next. And I mean, remember, before Haley Wickenheiser, there was Cassie Campbell Pascal. Like, man, they're just. Canada, can Canadian hockey, we've been blessed to have this pipeline of, of talent on both the men's and the women's side. And, uh, you know, and we're just, Poulain is... We're just better. We're just better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but I'll tell you what, Tyson, you know, one of my favorite parts of that gold medal win, obviously winning was amazing, you know, and the fact that the USA scored two goals later in the game to, you know, obviously, I mean, should have known we weren't going to win 3 nothing or 3-1. It wasn't going to be that easy. It was an Olympic final, but... And I feel like... It would have been nice on our blood pressure, but, you know, that's not how Canada-USA hockey games work. No. Hillary Knight wouldn't let that happen. We, we can't have a, an easy game when Hillary Knight is going up against us. And she's a beast. Like, like she really is. And, and obviously, uh, you know, I've, I remember following her since kind of 2014, and she is definitely one of the best female players uh, in the world, as is Kendall Coyne-Schofield, who, you know, a few years ago turned heads at the NHL All-Star fastest skater competition. There are definitely guys in the NHL that she would smoke <laughs> when it comes to a foot race. And, uh, and you know, you have to give respect to the, the USA. They're a great team also. And without the strength on their side, this rivalry wouldn't be nearly as good. But I'll tell you what, Tyson, one of my favorite parts about the win, other than the win itself and how epic the game was and how, you know, just emotional it was, seeing all of the Canadian ladies put gold medals around each other's necks. And, you know, and actually uh, Cheryl Pounder, who's a former Canadian player, uh, the color commentator that night, every, every, when every single player came up to receive their gold medal, she would say something about them. And just hmm. something short and sweet. And that just made it all the more emotional and it made it feel all the more complete, you know, like she, and obviously Cheryl knowing this team so well was able to just perfectly describe in, in a few words, what each of those players meant. And uh, it was fantastic. Also shout out to Sarah nurse breaking Haley Wickenheiser's Olympic record with 18 points in I a single Olympic tournament. Did MPP tie her? Like they not, both broke the record. I, I, I think so. Yeah, I think so. But I think Sarah Nurse has the thirteen right. assists, which is which is uh, the the assist record. But they yeah. both got there, which just shows you the strength of the program. And you know, yeah. <laughs> I bet Darnell Nurse is is very happy for his sister Sarah when he isn't uh, <clears throat> single handedly carrying the Oilers blue line. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no, no doubt about it. You know, this Canadian squad, they worked, they worked so hard and they definitely um, deserved it. And it was a great, uh, great Olympics for them. Great showing. Uh, yeah. Like you said, it was a great, awesome time. And it was super emotional, super great to see the ladies um, put the medals over each other. I think that just symbolizes the strength of this team, both uh, on ice, but also off the ice. Um, but, but there was actually one more thing that I, that came to my mind just now. Um, yeah, the win was awesome. Them getting their medals was awesome. But this one like cell phone video, or whatever. So Marie-Philippe Poulain was caught on a cell phone video giving H Hillary Knight 
a hug after the medal ceremony in the hallways and they and it wasn't just a quick like you know hey good game like i'll see you later it was a like they had this extended exchange where they like hugged like multiple times and although they were both masked you and you couldn't make out any words you could tell that they were just you know respecting each other and telling one another hey like you know you're a great player you make this game better like like stuff like that and and you know if you want to tyson if you want to think back to 2018 i remember how heartbroken we all were as canadians to see the united states win that gold medal in hockey over us and uh you know, I, in that moment, I just, I tried my best to sort of manage my emotions. But one of the things, questions in the back of my mind was, you know, like, I, I wonder if the Americans are, are gracious at all in, in, in victory. And four years later, I'm just really glad to have that question answered that not only is Marie-Philippe Poulin this classy, that after the win, she would go to her, her heated rival Hillary Knight and and give her a hug and show a tr show true sportsmanship. But that Hillary Knight also has that same respect for Marie Philippe Poulin. And you know, at, at the end of the day, and and let's be real, Tyson, war and battle analogies are incredibly overused in sports, especially considering what is going on in Ukraine right now. And I think that interaction between Poulin and Knight just sort of showed you that when the dust settles. Uh, not everyone's going to be best friends, obviously, but there should be that respect. And, you know, and, and the fact that Poulin went and showed that and, and Hillary did too, uh, you know, just makes me appreciate them as athletes even more. Yeah. Like a lot of these women, they're super close with one another. A lot of them have played on the same teams with each other, playing against each other in competition in their own professional leagues. A lot of these ladies, um, they played, a lot of against each other in U18 championships, U20 championships, a lot of different other international competitions. Um, a lot of the competition between Canada and the US and the women's hockey game has been head to head for so, so long. And it's been really, uh, it's been a long haul for a lot of the ladies. And a lot of them are good friends from playing in their, their own leagues. And uh, they've met each other and they know each other intimately well. And, you know, it's, it's always hard because when the Olympics come around and it's uh, the gold medal is on the line, there's always one winner and always one loser. And it's really tough for the team that loses. We know from 2018 when Canada lost and how hard that was for the girls and for Canada. Um, but yeah, like it's, it's great to see the level of sportsmanship because it's, we can't just constantly be like, okay, we hate them and we want to see them lose, but you know, we have to treat each other as human beings with respect. And I think Marie Philippe Plan did great with that and consoling and hugging out with Hillary Knight because, you know, the U.S. national program for hockey is an exceptional program nonetheless. And, you know, I know that they always have their sights set on gold, but silver medal is still a very good accomplishment, especially with some of the upcoming uh, countries like Finland and Sweden. They're doing very well in international competition and the growth of the women's game. So, yeah, I think that sportsmanship is really good, really important. And I'm glad to see, you know, Marie Fleetplan do that and, and exemplify it. You know who doesn't always show sportsmanship, Tyson? Who? The Russian Olympic team, unfortunately. <laughs> unfortunately. And, uh, and, and uh, that 
folks, is how we're going to transition into something that you may have heard about, even if you don't really care about the Olympics that much. And that, of course, is the doping scandal involving young 15-year-old Russian figure skater Camilla Valieva. Now, just uh, before we actually get into the scandal itself, um, I'm going to bring in a, a bit of context because I'll be honest with you, Tyson, I think this scandal made me a figure skating fan. That's not always, that's not really a good thing because I got invested for some reasons that were, you know, not the greatest. It was part of it was me being wanting so badly to find out how this scandal would unfold after Camilla tested positive for a, a banned substance. But um but yeah, before that, you know, like I really wasn't a figure skating fan at all. I was a, I was a Canada fan. I was a Tessa Virtue and Scott Moyer fan. And unfortunately, they retired after 2018. And going into this Olympic Games, I knew that, you know, we had some talent. The Canadian figure skating team did. Uh, Piper Gillis and Paul Poirier are our, our lead ice dance team now. And they, they're not Tessa and Scott, but they are very good. Like they are world class. But, but kind of other than them, you know, we had... Vanessa James and Eric Radford and uh, an uh, older veteran uh, team that had paired up months before the Olympics. But really, we did not have much uh, the firepower that won us the, the team gold medal in figure skating in 2018. So I kind of went, went into figure skating with the mindset of, man, I've just told y'all I watched six to 10 hours of Olympics uh, a day. I'm not going to watch all the figure skating. I'm going to watch the Canadians, then I'm going to watch like the obvious metal favorites, and then that's going to be it. And then Camilla Valieva tested positive for uh, a substance, uh, who, which by the way, uh, was called TMZ, not to be confused with the, the media outlet, but, uh, and she was actually found with, if I'm not mistaken, with two other substances in her system as well. The Russian camp claimed that it was to treat angina, which is a heart condition, but the substance TMZ is banned because it can help boost endurance. And obviously that is, a, that is an advantage uh, that you can't just be giving to some people and not other. Uh, and, but, but of course, before we, before we really sort of uh, unpack this, uh, Tyson, I'm going to express my newfound kind of figure skating fandom. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I'm a figure skating fan, but I'm definitely a fan of it a little bit more than I was before because totally. I I just think it's also important to humanize the skaters involved in this drama. I don't think the media always did a good job of that. And I think, you know, if you're a Canadian or an American, it's easy to just kind of go right but but i think it's very important to keep in mind how young these girls are how much they don't deserve any of this and how they would really be better served competing under healthier teams and healthier committees you know what i'm saying yeah and i know what you're saying and you know i you know this but i love the documentary icarus and it really details a lot about like the russian doping scandal from 2014 in sochi and it showed in that documentary that it's on Netflix how like systematic the doping is within the Russian sports program, which is run by the government. So uh, like kind of from the systematic government head of sports in the Russian government, like doping is encouraged and administered from them through all of the athletes. And it's really unfortunate when these Olympic athletes that are 15 years old and super skilled and super qualified, they run into this program 
expecting quality coaches and quality training and instead they're given performance enhancing drugs i think that that's really unfortunate it's really sad shouldn't work this way but that's how the government from russia chooses to run its sports programs yeah and tyson why don't you tell the folks uh, a bit about icarus namely the fact that in 2014 in sochi the russian olympic team went to such great lengths to cheat the drug testing system that uh, FSB personnel, which, so if you don't know, the FSB is the modern incarnation of the KGB, Security and Intelligence Agency. FSB personnel were involved with the Olympic team, Tyson, and and the rest is really out of a Jason Bourne novel. Yeah, it really is. It's straight out of, (laughs) straight out of like science fiction. And um, yeah, just like, it was an absolute crazy circumstance and situation that was going on. Basically, what was happening is that the Russian athletes, they were being administered uh, performance enhancing drugs throughout their training to build up strength, to be able to be at peak physical condition. And a couple of weeks before the uh, Olympics happened in in 2014 in Sochi, um, they were told, the government was told um, by the main guy who was administering kind of all of the the drugs and and the performance enhancing um, substances, that if you stop taking now, you will still be uh, at good strength while you're going through the Olympics. You'll still have an advantage, but you won't test positive because you're not taking the drugs in any day anymore. And it was determined at that point that the Russian government said, no, we want our athletes to be at peak physical performance. So we are going to cheat and we are going to allow athletes to continue to use drugs through the Olympics in Sochi, not just up until the Olympics, but also during the Olympics. So during the Olympics, every athlete needs to do um, urine samples to test for, um, you know, certain types of uh, drugs. That's how they test for it. So basically what ended up happening is the Russian uh, government built the lab and the facility for testing for, for, for performance enhancing drugs. And in building this facility, what they designed was basically a fake room that could be accessed through a fake um, outlet in the wall where that outlet would be hidden behind a desk or a dresser or something. They would move the dress desk or dresser out of the side, open up the fake hole in the wall, pass urine samples through to this special room. The special room then would have an operant and a person inside of it who would hand it to the FSB uh, agents or the KGB, former KGB agents. They would take the urine sample. They would go to a separate room, which was a designated um, security building, basically an FSB warehouse. And a couple hours later, the bottle would come back opened and it would be good. Now, just a quick little thing about these bottles. They were specifically designed by a manufacturer in Switzerland that in order to break them, you had to break the bottle or sorry, in order to open them, you had to break the bottle. So that way it could always be uh, determined like whether or not like the bottle was tampered with, because obviously if you open it and it breaks the bottle, then you <laughs> that's a clear indication that the bottle was tampered with. But somehow these Russian agents happened to figure out how to open the bottle without breaking it. And they used this technology to swap urine samples in the middle of Sochi. So athletes were taking 
performance enhancing drugs, their urine was being swapped during the Olympics. And as a result, Russian athletes got performance boosting throughout the Olympics. And it, really and it, and it has to be stated that uh, for those who've forgotten, Russia led Sochi with 30 total medals and tied for first in gold with uh, 11 apiece. So uh, they were definitely getting the results that they wanted after falling short in Vancouver big time. But uh, man, like when I was watching this documentary, Tyson, you know, you've been on me for like a year and a half to watch this documentary. Yeah. I finally did the other day and I, I almost couldn't believe it. Like just the extent of what happened, like it, you're right. Like it's, it's, it's Tom Clancy style like military fiction or espionage fiction almost it is is how far russia went and then of course they were they were subsequently banned from rio and were forced to compete in pyeongchang and beijing as the the olympic athletes from russia and later on the russian olympic committee um yeah so just a just a quick uh sidebar that i think is very important uh for the our listeners particularly the uninitiated when it comes to uh, drugs and PED scandals in sports. I think there's a misconception floating around in the public eye that drug testing is almost entirely accurate and that if you get caught, you definitely cheated. And if you don't get caught, you're definitely clean. Unfortunately, that is not the world that we live in. And uh, it was documented in the first half of Icarus where uh, former competitive cyclist Brian Fogel uh, reached out uh, reached out to uh, Grigory Rachenkov, uh, a Russian official who was the mastermind behind uh, the Russian Olympic doping program, who later defected to the United States and uh, and blew the whistle on what Russia was doing. But Brian Fogel worked together with Dr. Rachenkov to go on a systematic doping regimen in advance of a amateur but highly competitive. Uh, bicycle race called the Haute Route in, in France. And lo and behold, he was able to compete in this race uh, without being detected by any drug testing protocols. A and elsewhere in the documentary, uh, Brian Fogel gets Don Catlett, who is a top uh, anti-doping scientist who's overseen Olympic testing in the States, NCAA, Major League Baseball, and the NFL. And he was like a pioneer of, of many modern drug testing techniques. Don Catlin is on record in this documentary. You can go on Netflix right now and watch it, where he admits, no, and it's, it's, it's easy, comparatively speaking, to cheat these testing regimens if you know what you're doing or if you use the correct substances and most likely people like Lance Armstrong who was so vilified for what he did and you know rightfully so but you know it's likely that many of Lance Armstrong's peers and and other athletes across many sports are doping and they're simply not caught so you know I understand that cheating is awful I understand that uh people shouldn't be trying to to game the system and and i genuinely respect where you know certain athletes or officials are coming from when they make these passionate speeches in the public eye about how important it is to compete cleanly however i think in the public eye you know as sports fans we have to take all of this with a grain of salt because there are so many ways to dope or take performance enhancing drugs in some way and you've got top anti-doping officials going on the record admitting that the best they can do to catch these cheaters is not good enough yeah and like to go back to the, your original point like there are 
unfortunately, sometimes like cases where a positive test does come forward, but it's not someone who's actually attempting to try and cheat or gain the system. An example of this comes back to me, like there was this uh, Toronto Maple Leaf prospect by the name of Carter Ashton. He was a former first round draft pick. And it came on the news that he was like suspended for using a banned substance and he was suspended for like 30 games or something like that. And I was like, oh my, what happened? Well, what ended up happening is he had asthma, didn't let the NHL know that he had asthma. And when he had an asthma attack and he used his puffer, he, um, you know, ingested a banned substance by accident. He was literally just using his medication that was given to him as a prescription by a doctor. But because the NHL didn't know that he had this lung steroid for his asthma, he had to go through the protocol of, of being suspended because it was a banned substance and the NHL didn't know about it. So like, that's of course, one of the other situations where a substance that was used for an actual health situation, uh, you know, unfortunately is considered a banned substance because it can be abused by these cheaters. Um, but yeah, like you mentioned, like a lot of times. Well, also Tyson, you know what your it? story reminds me of? Nicholas yeah. Backstrom was unable to play in the 2014 men's hockey final in the Olympics for Sweden because he used Claritin, which was a banned substance or contained banned substances. That's crazy. That's actually crazy. I, I, I didn't know that. That's, yeah, like this, this stuff happens. And unfortunately in the world where there's a competitive balance and there's lots of things on the line, whether it be credibility or prestige or money, winning drives people to do things that sometimes unfortunately aren't for the best and aren't you know, in the spirit of integrity and for the sport because they wanna try and gain the system at least a little bit in order to improve their performance. And I think that we, we need to do more research into trying to figure out better ways to catch doping and have it do uh, good things. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely a work in progress. Definitely a work in progress. Well said. And uh, with uh, now let's move on to the actual figure skating scandal and, uh, and the key players involved. Now, like we've said before, these are all high school girls, which is kind of shocking in and of itself. And, and, you know, really, uh, it strikes me that when 16-year-old Penny Oleksiak wins four medals in the pool in Rio for Canada, but she's in a, you know, in a, in a healthy team, her family is a huge part of her life, and she was allowed to develop as an athlete in a healthy way, it strikes so much differently than when you have 15-year-old Camilla Valieva being given a banned substance. And let's be real, folks, she probably didn't know she probably just had a heart condition and was given something and her coaches tried to sneak one by the system or were just negligent. Either way, it's unacceptable. And uh, either way, she, she was caught for doing so. It just, you know, it almost makes, it makes me ask the question, should we be allowing teenagers into Olympic and world championship competitions at all? But that's a, that's a point I would like to circle back to later on our show. But let's let's folks let's let's tell you guys about Camilla uh, Valieva and her two Russian teammates who are at the center of this figure skating drama. Because I'll be honest with y'all, I watched like two half-hour YouTube videos and read multiple articles talking about all this this context from from figure skating fans that are a lot more informed than I am. So Camilla Valieva, like I said, she's only fifteen, but she really 
was the gold medal favorite for a reason. When I watched uh, her her events, she skated in the team uh, competition in, in Beijing where Russia did win gold by a landslide. Uh, like, man, I don't know that much about figure skating at all, but I could tell that was gold, right? Like, I could tell that nobody should be upset if this girl wins gold because of what she did here. And she was really good because she had it all. She was kind of like, you know, almost like the Aaron Rodgers of of women's figure skating. And I say that because she had a very has a very well-rounded skill set. She's a great uh, actress, dancer, performer on the ice, which is obviously a huge part of uh, something like figure skating. But she's also athletic enough to do quad jumps, which is four rotations in the air. You know, just a few years ago, only men we're doing these kinds of jumps because well that's women weren't really capable of it and and at 15 years old uh canadian figure skating analyst and former champion kurt browning was saying like you know camilla valieva doesn't sacrifice strength for flexibility she somehow has both at 15 and she really was the the class of the field so so we bank her in as the gold medal favorite and obviously she was before she uh before all this this drug drug drama but you know, there was two more skaters, uh, the two Russians that actually did end up winning medals uh, in Beijing. And the first one I want to talk about is Alexandra Trusova or Sasha Trusova, she goes by. And I'll just call her Sasha from this point on. Now, what makes her special? Uh, Tyson, you can imagine that you're no figure skating fan, but you can imagine how hard it is to jump in the air, spin around four times and land on your feet, right? Oh, yeah. No, it's it's really hard. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't even want to try to do it like once because I'll probably fall down. But uh, so yeah. Sasha, so, and, but remember what I just said about how it's so Camilla Valieva is one of the few women in the world that can do quad jumps. And that's part of what makes her great. Yeah. Sasha Trusova is known in figure skating circles as the quad queen because she started a revolution where the top female skaters in the world suddenly began doing more and more quad jumps in major competitions because of how highly they score. Sasha Trusova is the first woman, and I think possibly the first figure skater in general ever, but definitely the first woman to put together a routine in which she has used in World Championship, World Cup, and Olympic competition that involves five quads. Five quads? Yes. You're talking That's... about a 17-year-old girl jumping, doing four rotations in the air, coming in and linking five of those together over the course of a roughly five-minute uh, free program. It is... Oh, let me tell you guys how insane this is. So the base technical value of Sasha Trusova's routine, which she attempted at the Olympics, was about one point higher than the base value of American Nathan Chen. Nathan Chen won the gold medal on the men's side in figure skating. And his program was not as hard technically as, as Sasha Trusova's. This is how good she is. That's, that's actually incredible. That makes no sense, but it's just, just absolutely insane. Like this woman is insane. And, and that's why, you know, when I was talking, when, when I tell people about her, I compare her to like, you know, a, a power pitcher like a Roldis Chapman or a, or a big sniper like Alex Ovechkin, because really like that Sasha Trusova is figure skating's equivalent of a guy that blows triple digit fastballs by you. And that's how that's how she wins, because 
you know, she's often criticized, and I think rightfully slow, because our artistic skills, rather, are not as good as other high-level figure skaters. Either she's just not good at it naturally, or she hasn't bothered to develop that part of her game as far. But in a lot of competitions, it doesn't matter, because if she lands four or even three of the, the five quads she attempts, the score is massive, and... Uh, you're just not going to be able to compete with it, no matter how good a performer you are. That's that's incredible. That's just like saying, like, just straight up, I'm better than you, and I don't need to be as good in other areas because my my strength is better than your strength, and my skill is better than your skill. It's like moderately disrespectful, you know, that that's how good she is, that she can just be like, I'm so good that I can do what I just do and not uh, play to my, like play to my strengths, kind of ignore my weaknesses. And I'm still going to be like a top two figure skater in the world. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, she, she's a, spe she's special. And like I said, I, I have to say it again. She's only 17. Like I, I can't imagine Crazy. what these girls would be capable of if they were, you know, eased into this sport a little bit more and they were being trained in a way that allows their bodies to, to develop more fully before they start attempting all of these insane moves. It should be noted, Sasha Trusova has had multiple injuries already in her past going mm -hmm. after all these quads. You can imagine how tough that is on the body. But but yeah. that, of course, brings us to the third skater. Uh, Anna Sherbakova is her name. She is the defending Olympic champion uh, because she was the one that actually won gold in Beijing. And from what I have gathered, Anna is kind of like, she's sort of like the finesse queen of these three girls she's a phenomenal actress uh, on the ice phenomenal dancer you know lots of classical ballet training and similar things and it really shows in her skating she like there, there's this one scene where uh during her her free program at the olympics where all of a sudden she just kind of made a made a gesture with her hands and her eyes just changed and i'm like that's a movie scene like she could be playing like an elf in a fantasy movie or like a marvel superhero it's just her the way her face changed was just, it was very, very convincing. And all the commentators were quick to, to point that out. Interestingly enough, Tyson, Anna mm -hmm. Sherbakova is also the defending world championship gold medalist. Mm -hmm. And the reason why she was not the Olympic gold medal favorite less than a year later was because she had suffered some injuries in the interim and was uh, trying to get her consistency back after recovering mm -hmm. from those injuries. All right, but anyways, there you have it. You've got Camilla, who's kind of like the Bo Jackson, Aaron Rodgers of ladies figure skating. She can do it all. You've got Sasha Trusova, who is the uh, Aroldis Chapman, Alex Ovechkin, I'm a beat you with brute force skater. And then you have Anna Sherbakova, who really is kind of like the, oh, I don't know, the, the Johnny Gaudreau mm -hmm. of figure skating. And that her finesse and her sort of performance elements are really what, what make her stand out. And uh, these three girls are coached by this Russian lady named Ateri Tutvorice. I'm just going to call her Ateri from now on because the first name is a lot simpler. But yeah, and, uh, and so Ateri, this lady is a veteran figure skating coach, one of the most esteemed among her peers in Russia and the world. She also habitually uh, talks crap about teenage girls on social media when they have a problem with their coaching style. And she has also never been able to coach boys because I think there's something physiological about young teenage boys that makes them unable to withstand the rigors uh, of her coaching style. And let me tell you what I mean by rigors. Uh, 
And honestly, Tyson, as soon as I say this, it just sounds unhealthy and it sounds incredibly unsustainable. A Terry's mm -hmm. philosophy in coaching these elite figure skaters who are jumping like half a meter in the air and spinning around four times and landing with perfect poise is not to build any muscle. Now, obviously, figure skaters are not jacked people, right? Like even male figure skaters, even the tall ones are, are skinny and slim because that's how figure skating works. You can't look like DK Metcalf or, you know, or Ovechkin and be good at the sport. But a Terry's philosophy with her young female skaters is not to and it's not for them to build muscle so that they can become strong enough to do these jumps naturally. Her philosophy is for them to rigorously keep their weight under a certain cap and they become physically capable of doing quad jumps, not because of their uh, physical strength, but because of an incredibly skewed strength to weight ratio. And in, in sometimes uh, it's even been, it's even been documented that Atari skaters are not allowed to drink water at competitions because they are coached that the extra 300 grams that they might gain from drinking a glass of water would negatively impact the strength to weight ratio and detrimentally impact their performance. That's, that's actually crazy. Insane. I can't believe that. Like that's such, that's so toxic. That's such a bad way to coach. Um, like it's completely demoralizing and like, I cannot, believe that a coach would actually train someone this way like like not training to try and build up strength but instead training in order to keep the weight down to try and have the optimal muscle to weight ratio so that way they can perform certain moves I understand if that's efficient but from a human body level that's just so unhealthy kind of like the way that when we talked with uh, about UFC fighters and weight cutting and how weight cutting can be so unhealthy and cause so many damages within the body. I, I just, I, I think of the same thing here, like abusing the body to try and gain a strategic advantage is just something that I, I don't think is, is de it's definitely not sustainable long-term, but I think that it's just, wow. Like that's so crazy and so bad. Like, there has to be a better way. There has I'm, to be, there has to yeah. be a better way where we can coach these girls, have them be super talented, super good, and still try and build them up rather than trying to tear them down for not being able to do certain things. Uh, you're absolutely right. Like I am certain that there are other ways to train elite figure skaters. And you know what? There are because other countries have talent in this sport as well. It's just uh, oftentimes the Russian system uh, either favors this or allows it to happen. And, and here's what it leads to, Tyson, also for the folks listening. Uh, this really drives home how toxic this style of coaching is. Uh, the Atari expiration date is a term that is thrown around amongst figure skating fans because most girls coached by, coached by Atari, it said that once they hit 17 to 18 years of age, they fall off a cliff and are no longer relevant international skaters at that point because their bodies fail. And I'll give you some proof of this. Uh, the 2014 Olympic gold medalist, although I, although she, although she was not coached by a Terry, she was a Ru She's Russian and, you know, trained under the same regimen as, uh, as the three girls were talking about. So Adelina Sotnikova, is her name. She won gold at the 2014 Sochi Olympics in ladies figure skating. And uh, she, she stopped competing 
after 2015, 2016. She's 25 yeah. years old today and effectively retired about five or six years ago. That's crazy. That's I'm gonna, so young. I'm going to give you another example. Uh, the 2018 Olympic gold medalist in ladies figure skating, also a Russian. Her name is Alina Zagitova. And, you know, four years ago, she won the gold medal in Pyeongchang. She is 19 years old today. She is currently ranked 36 in the world and did not come close to making the Russian team in Beijing. That's so crazy. That's, that's so unsustainable. I mean, I know that traditionally figure skaters kind of have like a, a short lifespan and that lifespan is really, really young, but there's got to be something more sustainable than, than being washed up and retired at the age of 25. Like think, thinking on it, like a lot of athletes peak years come like in their low, like young twenties and mid twenties. And yeah, like that's, that's something that usually happens is that you get to that like 20, 21, 22 year old age. And that's like kind of your peak performance ish in a lot of different sports. Like I understand figure skating tends to be a little bit younger, but like, that's crazy that just by like middle of the twenties and you're already done. Yeah, no, it is. And if you, you know, especially if you compare it to, to men's figure skating, where the athletes come in generally older and they tend to last a lot longer. And I'll give you another example. Yuzuru Hanyu of Japan is pretty much a cult superhero when it comes to figure skating. He is yep. 27 years old. Uh, Beijing was his third Olympics and he won two golds from Sochi and Pyeongchang. This guy has actually been able to have, you know, a, a good length career competing at the highest possible level because he hasn't been abused by his coaches and you know, the difference is astounding. Yeah, no, the, there's a huge difference. And man, like, I think that we're really getting, like we're getting shortchanged here. Like some of these great, great women figure skaters could have careers well into their twenties and even into their thirties, but because they've just been coached so rigorously in their younger years, like you can't sustain it. So then the body, it, 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 it reaches a peak fast and then it falls down fast. There's yeah. no sustainability, right? So you gotta, there's gotta be better ways on training that is much more invested in long-term, uh, you know, progress mm -hmm. rather than short, quick intervals where you just like, you're constantly churning over the next teenager and trying to get them into the, into the program to get gold. Like, this is like, you know, it kind of reminds me of the Hunger Games a little bit. Obviously, no lives are actually on the line, but but bodies and health and livelihoods certainly are on the line. And, uh, you know, this Olympics really opened my eyes to just how toxic it can get for female figure skaters in particular. And that is, you know, that, that that's really awful stuff. Uh, but anyways, moving on to the scandal itself, now that y'all, we're all acquainted with sort of the key characters in, a, in this drama. And I call it a drama because it, it's, it's frankly Shakespearean how this ladies figure skating competition works out. So Camilla Valieva is Russia's golden girl. She's like, you know, she's Connor McDavid. She's Sidney Crosby. She's Aaron Rodgers, whatever, Michael Jordan, whatever uh, analogy you want to use. She's that girl. She's that good. And, uh, and here's where it, First starts to go wrong. So Camilla Valieva was forced to skate the short program and the free program 
of the figure skating team event, which was a week before her individual event. This despite the fact that uh, this despite the fact that Russia had a gigantic lead in the team event already and had two other like gold medal favorites on the bench that they could have put in. But they made the 15 year old the youngest one of all. Uh, they gave her a disproportionately heavy workload in this tournament. They made her skate the uh, the free program uh, in a situation where like a sixth or seventh place skate would probably have been enough to give the Russian team gold anyway. Like Tyson, imagine if you have Austin Matthews, Connor mm -hmm. McDavid, and Sidney Crosby all on the same team. You have three number one centers and you are up four goals with five minutes to go in the third period and you're triple shifting Connor McDavid. It doesn't make sense, does it? No, it, that doesn't make sense. Uh, in those situations, you spread out the workload evenly, maybe even give a little bit of a heavier workload to some of the lower lines in, in hockey. Like, you don't, need, you don't need to try and run up the score when you're so far ahead. You can just be smart, be reasonable, and do your best. Right, and, and I think that... Uh... You know, if the Russian coaching staff really had these girls' best interests in mind, they would have took a quick look at their roster and went, we literally have three gold medal favorites. Like, we essentially have three starting quarterbacks, three number one centers who are true number one centers in a manner of speaking, and gotten either one of them to skate the free program, knowing that even if they fall like two or three times, we are so far ahead, we are going to win the gold in the team event. I think that would have been the reasonable thing to do. It would have given one of the other girls a, a chance to shine and, and to contribute to this win, which they, you know, talent-wise, rightfully deserve. Uh, and instead, Camilla Valieva gets double-shifted. And, uh, and I think this right away is a sign of how toxic and how political uh, this Russian uh, Russian camp is because hey here's another insult to injury Sasha Trusova who started landing all these quad jumps before other girls did not get to be the first woman to land a quad at the Olympics because Camilla Valieva skated the team event yeah that's tough yeah so anyways we move on to the individual event and often obviously in the middle of all this Camilla tests positive for TMZ which is this substance that treats heart conditions but it boosts endurance after a review, the IOC makes this very, very questionable decision to allow her to compete in the individual event. And the line that keeps getting run through the media is that they felt banning Camilla at this stage would have caused her irreparable harm. Very, very ironic, given how what actually played out is much more likely to have caused her uh, irreparable harm. Now, if you missed it, Camilla Valieva... Uh, in the individual competition, skated well in her short program, which is the first of the two stages of a figure skating competition at the highest level. Uh, but then, most likely because her mental and emotional state is in the toilet because of all this political international controversy she's experienced, ended up falling multiple times uh, in the free program and finishing in fourth place, not even on the podium. And, and who can blame her? She's a 15-year-old who's experienced pressure that will probably make most adult athletes crack. Like, you know, like unless you're Brady or Jordan or Kobe, I don't know if even, you know, veteran adult athletes could have successfully kept all that drama and that pressure out of their head. Uh, Sasha Trusova goes out and she does her five quad performance. It was like, 
Kurt Browning called it a Marvel movie, her routine, and I am inclined uh, to agree. She skated to this like heavy metal music off the uh, the Cruella movie soundtrack, which nice. I thought was first of all an incredibly nice change of pace in a sport where most athletes skate to like Mozart or Beethoven or Bach or whatever. And uh, yeah, and so Sasha goes out and lands. I think I think she landed at least four for five quads, uh, and she ended up being the highest ranked skater in that half of the uh, of the competition but because this is okay another guess what tyson another questionable coaching choice from the russian camp sasha trusova in the short program fell on a jump and the penalty from that fall which was a few points ended up being the difference because anna sherbakova won gold by about two points why do i call this a questionable coaching decision uh, was because in her short program, Sasha was instructed to perform a jump called the triple axle, which is the axle is the most difficult jump in figure skating because of the way you take off and land. It's an extra half revolution compared to everything else, which makes it even harder. Sasha has not landed a triple axle once this season. And for some reason, she went for it in the Olympic final, fell. And even though the rest of her short program was otherwise quite strong, uh those few points ended up being the the difference um <clears throat> so tyson it's kind of like saying if you have an elite running back on your football team would you throw the ball 40 times a game yes and i would definitely throw it at the goal line when the game is on the line yes yes thanks pete carroll um but obviously your sarcasm you know belies the point there's just there's a series of very questionable things that, that I've been able to glean when I've been following this drama that really makes the overall picture even uglier than, than it already was. So anyways, here's, here's the recap. So Anna Sherbakova wins the gold medal by about like a couple of points over Sasha Trusova, who wins the, sil wins the silver. Camilla Valieva finishes in fourth, which means that uh, there's a Japanese girl named Kaori Sakamoto, who for most of the competition was banking on finishing fourth who got bronze, and she was very, very happy about that. So, you know, good for her. Guess what, Tyson? What? The drama's not even over. Oh, it's not over? Oh, it's not even over. It gets worse somehow. Here's the thing. The IOC said because of the, um, because of the Camilla drug scandal, if Camilla won a medal at this Olympics, there would have been no medal ceremony until the conclusion of the investigation. I don't know why. I, I, I don't know why. And certainly, I think the irreparable harm argument backfired right at that point when the IOC was like, we're not going to give anybody a medal because, uh, and yet we let the skater in question compete. Uh, guess what? The team figure skaters still haven't gotten their medals because Camilla is under investigation. And, uh, yeah, so that was already bad enough. You, you want to know the first thing Camilla said after she fell? Um, okay, so she fell a bunch of times, right? Knows it was the worst skate of her life. Goes to the sideline. And a Terry, her coach, no hug, nothing, no, no hand on the back, no support. Instead, she started, she just put on this very stern face. And uh, what she said to her skater, which was later translated from Russian to English, was things like, why did you give up? Why did you stop fighting after that second jump, that second fall? Uh, no support whatsoever. Camilla's 15, by the way. Um, and, then the, uh, right, and then the score comes out, and Camilla's in fourth. 
And what she says, she says to her coach, trying to, you know, trying to be funny, trying to like be positive. She says to her coach, well, at least the medal ceremony won't be canceled. And then she buries her face in her hands and cries. That's, oh man, that's so tough. Like, man, like everything in my whole body is like screaming at this coach to not be a terrible person, to not like, not do everything wrong and just like continuously continues, like makes the same mistakes. Like this is a person who is going through one of the, or if not the hardest moment in her entire life. And you're basically going and saying, you quit. Why did you quit? You sucked. Why did you suck? Like makes no sense. This person is not a coach. This person is an antagonizer. And an antagonizer oftentimes does get very good results from the people that they antagonize. But a coach is not is someone who builds, who lifts up, who elevates people who, who are trying to take teaching from them. This person has no intention of teaching anybody, has no intention of uplifting or building up anybody. This person, this coach on the Russian team has every intention on bullying and belittling people until they do enough to get results. And, and I think it's just so un, unacceptable. And I couldn't agree more based on, based on what I've seen. But you know what, Tyson? It gets what? worse. It oh, somehow no. gets even worse. So remember how Sasha was the quad queen, did the five jumps, you know, put out this Marvel movie routine and barely gets silver? Uh, yeah. She has a meltdown like a full-on emotional breakdown after the results uh, after the results are announced. Uh, cameras caught her just bawling and screaming and being inconsolable uh, on the sidelines. And, uh, and what she was saying was later translated from Russian into English for, for the public. And, uh, and she was saying things like, I hate this sport. I'm never going on the ice again. Everybody has one, not me. All right, now at this point, I'm thinking, okay, maybe she needs to learn to lose gracefully. Although also in the Russian culture, everybody's under that kind of pressure. But then she says something else. And then she said, screaming at one of her coaches, you knew everything. And that was a line that really piqued my interest. Because I'm like, what is she talking about? You knew everything. Is it drugs? Is it substances? Is it a coaching decision? Is, it, is she yelling at her coaches and being like, you told me that five quads would be enough to win gold and I didn't get gold. Or is she talking about like, why did you give Camilla the drugs? Why did you know about that? And it's just the plot thickens so much at this point that, you know, I think there's two, there's two sides of this point. One is there's a 17 year old girl who sure is not taking the results gracefully, but she's 17 and she's been coached to be hyper competitive. So really what are you expecting when she yeah. falls short? The other half of the coin is the you knew everything line suggests that there is so much more drama beneath the surface than even we know. Um, like, I don't know, Tyson, what do you make of that as an outsider? Interesting. That, that comment says so much and it opens so many different possibilities. This is like, this is like a, a soap opera. It really is where it's like, just like, like you're pulling on that thread and it just like keeps unraveling and keeps unraveling and keeps unraveling. And 
you you'll never get to the end of it just because there's so much going on underneath the surface behind closed doors that we don't see and it's just absolutely crazy to me that like this stuff is happening speculation for me it's a little bit of everything you know it's about the routine it's about the drugs it's about everything but that's just me speculating and guessing I I don't I don't know but like yeah like this is that that statement of like you you knew everything like that's so much but there's so much there that I want to just I want to know want to yeah. know what's underneath that <laughs> now, honestly like uh if i didn't wouldn't fear for my life in russia i would love to interview her and you know get this like as a journalist i would you know if she was willing i would love to talk to her in this kind of situation and be like what do you mean like you know and if she ever if sasha ever gets to a place where she wants to talk about this openly i hope she finds a journalist a good journalist and does this and really shed some light on what the hell is going on here but guess what tyson it gets even worse oh no so you know how anna sherbakova won the gold medal yeah right and so she won the gold medal the russians get gold and silver so it's almost what they wanted they wanted the sweep they got pretty close but guess what for several what? minutes after the end of the figure skating competition, Anna Sherbakova was sitting by herself alone as her entire team left her to run damage control on Camilla, who is crying, and Trusa, on Sasha, who is having a meltdown in the corner. Anna is an Olympic gold medalist, and for minutes, like several minutes on end, the only person who even came over and gave her a hug and said congratulations was Kaori Sakamoto, the Japanese bronze medalist. The rest of her coaches, her trainers, whatever, uh, pretty much acted like more like, oh, our favorite girl didn't win, and now we have to go deal with this, and nobody even came and celebrated with her. That's so bad. Like, I, I understand figure skating is, is, a, is an individual sport or a pair sport in the pairs figure skating. And in this case, it was an individual sport. And I understand that at some level, every single person is all competitors. However, within countries and within figure skating, they have teams. And all three of these ladies, they were all kind of on the same team, right? And remember, they've been training together since they were like 10-year-olds. Exactly. They've been training together. They've been competing together. They're competing for the same nation. At some level, don't you think that you have to go, wow, congratulations for my teammate. That's so good for her. Rather than constantly thinking about like yourself. Like, I, I don't know. Like, just like, that's astonishing to me. And like, obviously, like the first person that comes to mind on who should be supporting her would be her coach. But we've gone over how terrible of a person that person is. Uh, But like, like at some level, like, why wouldn't Sasha say, hey, congratulations on your gold medal? Um, Like, even if it's a little bit spiteful and like a little bit salty, like, I think I did better than you, but they docked me points because I fell a little bit. Like, but like, even still, like the gesture of going is... It's the exact opposite of what we saw with MPP and and Hillary Knight and and the women's uh, hockey. And it's just, it's sad that women on the same team are so at odds with each other. And it's just, 
so terrible and so toxic. And, you know, and I think the, the real problem is, I think, is again, not the teenagers, but the system around them, right? Two things, they're young, like they're not veterans like Hillary Knight and Marie-Philippe Poulin who have, you know, been trusted with leadership of international caliber teams. They're the hormonal high school girls who've been placed under arguably much more pressure than any teenager should ever have to face. The other mitigating factor is, let's be real, they've, Coach Terry and her assistants have probably been like playing all three girls against each other, like under the table for this entire time so that there is no real camaraderie or that if there was, it was polluted by this shifty political maneuvering. You know, I, I, I was, uh, I was reading some commentary by knowledgeable figure skating fans and, uh, and watching some YouTube videos. And one of the issues that they raised was, you know, what if, uh, what if they coached Anna to be artistic and Sasha to be the technical master in the back of their mind, knowing that Camilla was the favorite anyway, but coaching the other two up based on their strengths is kind of like backup plans, which is first of all, I mean, if that's true, that's pretty disgraceful that you have three world caliber athletes and you're looking at two of them like spare tires, essentially. Um, but yeah, and, and I think even worse, uh, like you said, the coaches, if not a Terry, one of the assistant coaches, all of the assistant coaches should have come over to Anna and be like, you just want us a freaking gold medal. This is what our team has been working towards for four years. Congratulations. You, you rose up and you got the job done at the very least. And, uh, you know, I, I'm a lot more inclined to give Sasha and Camilla a pass because these are, these are young women that are, that have been subjected to a bunch of BS um, although obviously it would have been far better if there had been more, more solidarity there. Here's a silver lining though. Anna also appears to be the most mature of the three girls, not only in her skating, but as a person, she is good enough in English that she does multiple English interviews with North American media. And we could have her on this podcast right now, as long as we kept the questions relatively simple. Her English is actually quite good. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, and uh, and one of and one of the things she said was, uh, you know, obviously people were asking her like Anna, like how are you feeling with all these distractions and whatnot, and she gave she was giving answers like, no, no, like it was pressure, but I've been to a lot of international competitions before. I was I was ready for this, and she pretty much said all of the right things in front of the camera, which to me is incredibly impressive. If you're a teenager and you are surrounded by all of this pol these politics and toxicity, and you're able to get it together in front of the camera and not let you know any salt or, or spite show and just be like, hey, like I'm so happy that I won a gold medal. Um, you know, like I was prepared for this, I was ready for this, and I, I can't believe that my Olympics are already over. This is amazing. Um, so, you know, honestly, props to her. Yeah, no, great for her. I, I know it's a tough situation, but the way you, you talked about it, it sounds like she handled it pretty well, um, especially for a young girl. So I, I feel bad for the athletes, for the young girls to be in this situation, in this toxic environment, this kind of sludge that has been created by the coaches and the, and the organization of the Russian figure skating. But um, yeah, it's, it's sad, but I, I hope that there's some form of redemption coming. Uh, that's something that I can hope for. I don't know if I'll ever get it, but I definitely hope for redemption for these, for these ladies. Yeah. And I, I honestly, 
you know, I really hope the Atari expiration date doesn't come into effect with any of these three. Heck, if I see two of the three at the next Olympic Games, I will be overjoyed because that meant that at least they managed to have some longevity, right? And, you know, and honestly, I would love for Camilla Valieva to, to come back and win the next World Championships to, to get an Olympic medal. I don't care if it's gold or not, an, an Olympic medal uh, at the next Games. Uh, uh, honestly, who... Who knows? Russia needs to stop in Ukraine first. Uh, that's all I'll say about that. That is a that is an insane situation, and we're we're constantly praying for that uh, Russia and Ukraine and, and all that. But um, uh, you know, and it just you know how ironic is it that you know that these three girls are just another example of how Russian citizens are getting screwed over by their government and by the the systems under which they live and. Um, yeah, man, I, I got to tell you what, I, I think soap opera was dead on from what you said earlier. And if I really hope they make a Netflix like last dance style documentary on this whole thing, because there is so much here and it would be so relevant to sport in general. Yeah, we, oh, it would be so good. It would be so provocative. It would be just the stories that would come out would be like so incredible, so insane. Like it would be almost unbelievable. Yeah. All right. So just to close this off, I, again, I do want to close off all this figure skating like Game of Thrones nonsense on a on a positive note that, uh, you know, immediately after the Olympic Games, Camilla Valieva posted a few Instagram stories that showed her at a concert of a Russian pop star. And she took a photo of herself with him and like smiling and throwing up a peace sign. So at least it seems that she's been able to spend some time with her family uh, and unwind and have some fun after all that she's been through. Uh, Sasha Trusova and Anna Sherbakova both skated in this, uh, in, in the exhibition gala. So like every, every Olympic figure skating competition has a gala at the end where skaters come in and just do whatever they want for fun. And, uh, you know, three days after saying she would never go on the ice again, Sasha came and performed in this gala and put on this like Wonder Woman costume and skated to the electric guitar theme of Wonder Woman, uh, nice. thus reinforcing her status as my favorite female figure skater to watch because she's not just doing what everyone else is doing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah, and, uh, and so, so at least for the time being, from what we can glean on social media and whatever, uh, all three of these girls appear to be trying to bounce back from all that they've gone through and they're trying to, to relax, to have some fun and then to get back to you know, whatever their, their normal schedule, their normal routine is, which I think is good for them. But I'm also sitting here being like, so if we can just get them to like defect out of Russia to compete for anybody else, I think figure skating would be better off for it. I think you're right. I, I think so. But, you know, we'll have to see what, what happens and what comes with them. And, you know, they're great athletes. So I wish them the best. Yeah. All right. Well, I think in order to finish off this particular episode, well, we, you know, after all this doom and gloom, we gotta, we gotta talk about something to finish and, yeah. uh, and Canada yielded plenty of moments. So I'd like to, I'd like to finish off with, um, well, first of all, how about uh, one snowboarder named Max Perot of Quebec? He's a freestyle snowboarder who won a silver medal in slope style in 2018 in 20. He got the kind of prize nobody wants. It's called Hodgkin's lymphoma. Mm -hmm. And he battled cancer for a year plus. And in 2022, after beating cancer, he won a gold in the slope style and a bronze in the big air. 
Uh, he was the second of Canada's four golds, though his came first. And man, like this guy, you know, he, whenever I've watched his, like his interviews and in his features, he seems like such a likable guy, a, a great athlete. And uh, to come back from cancer and do better at this Olympics than you did at the last one is amazing. Yeah. Oh, no, it was so good. And he was the first Canadian to win gold at this Olympics. Wasn't that correct? Yeah, um, yeah I think so. And, you know, great to see him, you know, being able to come back from cancer, win, beat that, come back, compete in the Olympics is astonishing enough. And to win gold, you know, that's such a great story. So amazing. Love to see it. Congratulations, congratulations Max. And uh, of course, when we talk about Canadian snowboarding, we also have to mention Regina, Saskatchewan's Mark McMorris, who, unlike most Russian figure skaters, has actually had a great deal of longevity in his career. He's 28 years old. This is his third Olympic Games. He won his third Olympic bronze in the snowboard slope style. And this really is, you know, and he's also, by the way, the most decorated X Games snowboarder of mm. all time, passing nice. Sean White, and Jamie Anderson on the women's side. And That's he's got crazy. three Olympic bronzes over all that time to, to go with it. So, you know, congratulations, Mark. And I, I love that flat old Saskatchewan produced one of the best snowboarders in the world. <laughs> he's, uh, he's in slope style. So it's more like going down and, and, and slide, not like big air and big jumps. So there's like... Well, actually, he does both. He didn't win oh, a medal does. in oh, big air. Right. But... Yeah. yeah. I guess he was must have been traveling to the mountains a whole lot then. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and, and he talks about, you know, making courses in his backyard as a kid to learn the fundamentals before he was able to travel to better resorts and places where he could really take his game to the next level. Uh, yeah, Max Perot, uh, good for him. Uh, I want to give a quick shout out to a 16-year-old Chinese guy named Su Yi Ming who won uh, the silver medal in the slope style and the gold in the big air. Like, man, China's not supposed to be good at snowboard, like at freestyle snowboard. I swear this guy walked straight out of a super soldier lab and he's coming for all our medals in the next Olympics. He's coming for them all. He's going to go out and get like all the golds in like all of the, all of the competitions. He's going to be <laughs> Sean White of China or something. <laughs> something crazy yeah um also snowboarding uh the sport of snowboard cross is another element of of freestyle uh snowboarding but it's a race if you if you've ever seen it it's people are moving across a course there are rolls there are jumps there are curves and uh and you basically have to get to the finish line first and people fall all the time it's incredibly uh entertaining and canada won uh let me count yeah canada won two bronzes and a silver, courtesy of uh, two athletes named Marietta O'Dine um, of BC and Elliot Grandin, who is from Quebec. Elliot won a bronze and Marietta won, sorry, Elliot won a silver, Marietta won a bronze. Uh, the reason why I bring this up is uh, Marietta's older brother, who she has said in an interview as her first friend, passed away in 2020 from cancer. Mm -hmm. And before then in 2018, uh, she got concussed in a training run and couldn't compete. And so she comes back and wins bronze. But what, and Elliot Grandin is just young and good and he wins a silver. But then they teamed up to compete in a debut event called Mixed Team Snowboard Cross, where it's, it's the men go first. And based on the men's finishing positions, the women run the same course, but it's a staggered start. The gates don't drop at the same time to simulate, um, to simulate kind of that, oh, you're behind and now you have to kind of take over. 
And during the women's leg of this event, where Canada was in the final, uh, Marietta Dine went off a jump with another snowboarder. That snowboarder landed on her back, knocking them both to the ground. It's, if you look it up, it's, a, it, it's an insane video. They both mm. come crashing to the ground and gold and silver out of reach like that. And Marietta gets up first and guts to the finish line to get a bronze medal for Canada. And I don't know, that's a, you know, that's just one of those things where you're like, I, I don't know, I feel like especially it's, it's just another great comeback story. To me, those were two of my favorite athletes of the Olympics and it was a great time. But yeah, um, obviously we could go on for a very long time about other things that are happening in the Olympics, but you know, we could fill an entire season doing that. And you know what? We might in the future, but uh, mm. just not tonight. Um, but yeah, anyways, folks, uh, we hope you enjoyed uh, this discussion. And we particularly hope we were able to shed a little bit more light on this figure skating scandal that really kind of rocked the world, the sporting world. And obviously we hope that it all turns out for the better. Uh, but until then, uh, this is David and Tyson signing off from the draft board. Thank you for listening to The Draft Board. Podcast music, intro, and outro is produced by Graham Bass. Your hosts, again, are David Song and Tyson Workington. Come back next week for more insight from the rink, the turf, and the court. See you soon.